Hello everyone, welcome back to Urban Financial Java Live, your hot cup of financial goodness. Today I bring to you, drum roll, the credit report. <laughs> what the hell is it outside of that loud ass score that we sometimes don't like? Let's talk about that. Because if the only thing that you're looking at is your score, you're doing it all wrong. There are many different things on a credit report which can either add to or take away from your credit score or I would like to say credit goodness, which I would like everyone to spend more time focusing on those things as we kick off this season, which will be focused on credit. The first thing we're going to do is build a better relationship with our credit report, understanding it knowing what certain things mean, being able to identify problem areas that we need to go in and attack, or realizing what's holding us back, and also making notes of what could be setting us ahead if we change the way that we manage those items. So let's talk about them. First things first, how do you judge a credit report? Is it by the score? Absolutely not. A credit report is judged by the rating. When we look at the rating, ratings can be excellent, good, fair, or poor. What determines that? Well, let's get into the elements that create good credit, excellent credit, fair credit, or really poor credit. Let's talk about ratios. Ratios are the amount basically balance versus available credit that are being used by a person at one time. Now, why is it that ratios play such a major role when it comes to credit score? Well, ratios that are being used at a rate of, let's say 10% or less, those people have excellent credit because this is telling other companies that, hey, this person was able to utilize a $5,000 limit. They've been good at paying it back. Uh, even if they use $4,500, they have been excellent. They do not carry balances, keyword balances, over 10%. That's excellent credit. That means they either carry no balance at all after usage or 10% or less. Good credit. Good credit is usage of about, let's say, 20-ish, 20 to 20-30%. You can maintain good credit. That means that this person does not carry an average balance over 20 to 30% per month. When you maintain the zeros, the 10%, the 20%, your credit continues to go up in score because they're giving you credit, basically sticks and carrots for saying, awesome job for keeping your balances low. Now what begins to happen when we start to tap over 35%, 40%, 50%, and we're holding those balances for months, we're not paying them off. This is our average ratio of balances that we're carrying on cards. Credit begins to go stagnant at about 35 to 40%, meaning that there's no contribution to credit monthly. Once we begin to go over 50%, which is like the nationwide DTA, you know, level that America believes that you should carry no more than is about 40 to 50%. So once you begin to tip 
40 to 50 percent your credit begins to go down and the reason why your credit is going down is because you're holding balances balances determine ratios ratios determine credit ratings we need to get into managing balances better for the sake of our ratios this is what helps us get better credit ratings we as people we seem to focus a hell of a lot on score score doesn't have shit to do with anything when it comes down to someone looking at your overall credit report and saying hey this person has good or bad credit it's all about those ratios and those balances and how you carry them over how soon you pay them off and how long you just keep them outstanding so now let's move on to the role that history plays in your credit i'm going to break down history a few different ways first let's talk about late i have a system i'm a lender you applied for something with me my system is going to fish out how good you are at paying things back my system is going to begin to look at the portion of your credit that either says check mark okay 30. we like that once we begin to see derogatory such as 60 90 120 you for unknown status c for charge off blank meaning there was no input something may have happened history plays a major major role in your credit sometimes you go through things in life and you feel like because you've moved on and your new accounts are in good standing and i don't understand why i feel like i should have go backwards go through each account that's actively being reported on your credit open up the tabs something that people often don't do Besides the fact that it says current in 2020, was it ever late in 2013, 14, 15? Was it late in April, May, June, July? You know, where is this inconsistency that flagged you on your denial letter that said payment history? What, where did it happen? Make a note of these things, circle them, because as long as it's within the seven year range, you want to remedy them. You want to kumbaya. You would like to make peace with those creditors, those lenders. You want to either send them some documentation or, you know, call them and say to them, hey, during this point, I had some things going on in my life and I've been current for over six months. Emphasis on over six months. And I would like to rewrite my wrongs back from x y and z years ago could we possibly work that out sometimes a creditor is willing to remove a fraction of those lates sometimes they're willing to remove all other times based on the fact that let's say you was just thugging they're not gonna touch it so make a notation of those accounts and always remember that as long as this account is being kept active, meaning that you're still using this $500 card, you're still keeping the relationship open, that past is going to count against you. Sometimes, sometimes, emphasis on sometimes, the best thing to do is pay that card off, have it closed, the history no longer counts against you. The smart way to move those balances around is to do what's considered a credit balance transfer or balance transfer let's look for another bank don't be don't be an ignorant shopper meaning that you just click apply to everything 
take a look at that bank's rates and see, hey, for balance transfers, what's the rate that you're offering now? If when I was younger, I had a $500 Capital One card with an APR of 29%, and over here at the credit union, they're doing balance transfers with APRs of 9 to 11% or even lower, that's a smart transfer. We're gonna go ahead, make that balance transfer. It's gonna go ahead and close out the history on the old account. You're gonna notice that your payment history ratio, let's fall in love with that word, is now going to increase because if you had seven lates with that company, those seven lates fall off. You're carrying that $500 to a new company, meaning that you do not lose value in credit. It is simply transferred. This is why people do balance transfers because the relationship with Capital One was not, you know, it wasn't hitting marriage. It probably made it to engagement, but we really didn't work out that good. So we're gonna transfer our love over here to the credit union for the better rates. And we're gonna go ahead and keep that $500 in our available credit. And we're gonna move on with life. So that covers how we handle, or that covers two scenarios of how we can handle late. We can either pay that card off completely and close it because it's gonna continue to count against us, or we can do a balance transfer. When you close it out completely, remember you're gonna lose the value of whatever the credit limit was. That's up to you to determine whether you can risk that or not. Sometimes it's not a very big deal. Option number three, as I said before, was the kumbaya letter. Hey, could you do me this favor? I was going through some stuff at this point in time in my life, you know, whoop -de -whoop, whatever. They may, work, they may work with you. They may not. Just make sure you keep your options open and you know what works best. Moving along to collections. Collections play a major role in damaging credit. They are like the worst enemy ever when we're going through collections we have to determine what are they i usually start off two ways was there any collateral uh was this a furniture account was this a cell phone account was equipment and tangible goods involved to the point where i took something from them and i need to pay them something or was it a service gone bad you know where it was like a breach in the contract well, you said that you were going to do this and this didn't fully happen, but you still billed me for it. Collection examples. Let's use examples. Rooms to go is a collateral account. We want to pay a portion of our rooms to go account. The reason why collateral accounts are so important when it comes down to repayment, collateral accounts can have you in court. Collateral accounts can have you arrested. Collateral accounts can have you leaned. That's not what you want. So when it comes down to your collateral accounts, be responsible, kumbaya with them, make some form of agreement. Later on in this podcast, I'm going to teach you how to make contingency payments when creditors will not work with you or at least work with your financial situation. I'm going to show you how to bail your way out and get things paid for a hell of a lot less on the strength of, all right, you didn't want to work with me, say less, I got you. Moving on to the next type of collection, we have contract breaches, which are services. Let's say that I had a contract with T-Mobile. T-Mobile was just not spitting out service in the area which I lived. The service was always horrible, janky. The phones were always messed up. I constantly called, things didn't go right. 
you have a solid reason to dispute that. But when it comes down to disputes, you can't dispute that online. There's no there's no checkbox for that. You know, you have to gather your documentation. You have to get yourself some proof and you have to explain to the credit bureau where did the breach occur. We'll get into disputes further on in this podcast. Now, there are other things that may cause collections on accounts. Identity theft. I'm also going to guide you guys through what is the appropriate way to handle identity theft. There are two points that you would like to report your identity theft to and bring it back to the credit bureau. Number one will be the FTC. Number two will be the IRS. Do not do an IRS dispute during tax season. Do it before tax season. Do it when you acknowledge it. Once you get to certification from IRS and once you get to certification from the FTC, which I will teach you that, you bring it back to the credit bureau, those accounts from identity theft are gone. Now, settlements with collections. You're going to have some accounts sometimes where they'll pop up and you may just have to settle that may be like your cable bill you moved and you missed it you know you missed that last bill for 120 bucks you're gonna have to pay something make a negotiation make a, make a deal to pay 60 bucks but do it solely contingent upon removal from your credit because you don't want to have like we were saying you don't want to have little things on your credit that are going to count against you where it's just sitting there like hey he or she didn't pay this so you don't want that So with settlements, always try to pay something. And I'm going to say this openly in my podcast. Uh, What I don't like is the mental approach where you think that fixing your credit means that you're not going to pay anything. We're adults. We took the stuff. We accepted the service. Be ready to pay for some of your stuff. If you have a deficit of about 30 grand, be prepared to pay back at least 10 grand worth of the stuff. You got to pay to play. And that's just the way things are. Let's talk about the remarks on credit. Um, Remarks. Some people think that it's a great idea that every time something happens, a hurricane, you know, prime example, this pandemic, it's wonderful that you call your creditors and you report to your creditors what's going on with your life. Now, when your creditors take it upon themselves to say, hey, was affected by natural disaster, uh, affected in pandemic, da 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 You have to remember later on down the line, you want to go back in and you want to take those remarks off because you're going to have another creditor. Let's say the pandemic hit like it did in 2020, first quarter. Let's say the following year, 2021, you want to go buy a house in 2021. All right. Underwriters taking a look at this now and you're saying that you had strong financials for the past 24 months. They were bulletproof and nothing affected them and you maintain this, you maintain that. What those remarks are telling that new mortgage company that you just applied with is, hey, red flag, there was some discrepancy of couldn't afford. We can't see it fully on the credit report here, but something happened here. You might want to talk to them about that. Sometimes remarks are the reason why creditors are asking you for extra information. But if you would just tailor stitch your credit before applying for things, you'd be in tip top shape. Other remarks where you settled something like we previously just discussed. You want to make sure that the account either fully says zero, removed, or it says fully paid and agreed. Oftentimes when we settle things, we can't get a full payment comment remark there. So we like to do things, make a note, 
strictly contingent upon full removal from your credit. I am going to upload that contingency letter just in time for our next episode. Moving along, medical bills. This is where stuff gets just a little bit tricky. Medical bills. You have 180 days to kumbaya, pay, settle, or remove the medical bill from the actual place where you accumulated the bill. The great thing is, and I know no one likes to give him any form of credit, is Donald Trump created this thing where you have 180 days to say, hey, within a six-month period, they didn't send me a bill. Super strong point on medical bills is you have the right now to apply for financial assistance and you also are entitled to a detailed bill. A detailed bill will tell you something like, they charged you $700 for a bag of saline. They know good and well that once you see that, you're going to be like, what the hell? So majority of the time when you write in your disputes and you say these three things, one, I was not sent a, you know, a detailed bill. I was just sent a notice of collection, meaning that I am not aware of what this grand you know, total is or what it refers to. Nine times out of 10 medical bills are built in lump sum. They do not explain it to you. It's just some codes that they put in on their side and it's just an invoice for you. So one, you can say, hey, I never got a detailed bill within the 180 days. You know, I tried to get one from them, whatever, never was sent. Number two, I applied for financial assistance or a settlement since most hospitals are considered to be a nonprofit and I never received one. That's number two. Number three is simply send me a detailed bill. Once the detailed bill comes, sometimes the balance changes. Sometimes because another portion of insurance has paid so much to reduce the price already, your portion of the medical bill is gone. So medical can be handled in a few different ways. So be sure to make a note of your medical bills. Make little notations and say, hey, I have four or five medical bills holding me back. Let me see which one of the three ways I can put on all of these medical bills and either get them gone, get them settled, and get my report improved. Evictions. There were a lot of evictions between 2008 and 2016. Evictions. How do you handle an eviction? Number one, when most people are being evicted, something happened. Sometimes there was a breach of contract with the landlord. You have to review your individual lease to see where the breach was made. If you can identify the statue as to where the breach was made, and you can also document where you communicated with your landlord, and you can also document where your landlord did not try to remedy the issue, you are entitled to remove that eviction in two places. Number one, on your credit. Number two, at the courthouse. Once removed from the courthouse, it is taken out of most rental databases. So you want to make sure that if you're going to dispute an eviction, you have documentation to show what and why you're disputing this eviction. Also with evictions, 
If you have an eviction on your credit for $7,000, make sure that the landlord can send you a ledger that justifies $7,000 worth of damage or unpaid you know, dues or whatever the case may be. Also make sure that when you are sent a ledger, sometimes make sure that it makes sense. Make sure that it was something that when moving out, you agreed to, because in most cases, people go back to give the uh, property manager or the landlord the key. Sometimes they're going to throw stuff on there where you won't know what the hell it is and where it came from. Get to disputing that. You're entitled to dispute an eviction. Once you've disputed it on your credit, you go back in the courthouse where the docket is and you request for the judge to remove it. Sometimes you're going to have to pay 20 to 50 bucks. I don't know what it is in your state or county in order to reopen that case and get it done. But remember, because you got it off on your credit does not mean that it's off in the rental databases. You need to go to the courthouse and you need to remedy that. So when you go to a property management company and you apply for something, you're able to tell them, hey, I disputed this and this was the documentation. Create binders, like I told you before in the first episode, get a binder, start keeping documentation of everything. You're gonna need it. We've got foreclosures. Foreclosures, there's so many ways to go about foreclosures. If you're affected by a foreclosure on your credit, sometimes these can take years to, you know, remedy or find the paperwork because with the mortgage company, in order to get one request satisfied, you may have to go through several different departments, several different people. And every time it transitions to a new department and they escalate this dispute, it's given an additional 45 to 60 days. So with some disputes, it's not gonna be the standard that people like to say, oh, you know, hey, this is just a 30 day dispute, da 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 da, whatever, whatever. Everything in credit does not work like that. So for foreclosures, we'll have to discuss this one in depth. For now, we're just trying to address brief things on the credit report, identifying them and how to remedy them briefly. Foreclosures, that's a whole segment within itself. Same with bankruptcies. Many people have filed bankruptcy who did not go through with the bankruptcy plan or they did not, you know, they they just decided in the end, maybe I'm going to do something better than a bankruptcy. Thank you for the hearing and the mediation and everything else. I'm out. But what happens is from the moment you enter that paperwork, and I don't know why they're so quick, and this is with every single county, I have not seen one yet that's just not like this. It's already on your credit that you attempted a bankruptcy or had one of the bankruptcy notes are sitting in there. And those bankruptcy notes are very, very, very detrimental to your credit and they affect it greatly. The score will tank. So if you have a bankruptcy notation on there that's not supposed to be there, make sure that you take the necessary steps by visiting that county and getting that bankruptcy notation removed. Overall, what did you count? How many things on your credit were you able to just look at and say, oh my gosh, that's what's bothering my credit or whatever. Or are you one of those people where everything just, you know, it it just kind of looks good. That's great. Your next thing now should be, when am I going to fix all this stuff? You know, what are the deadlines for your goals? When are they actually due? Some people have lease endings coming up for vehicles, for their apartments. You know, they have things that they need to renew that are credit based. What are the deadlines for your goals? What time do you have to fix all of this stuff? 
Next, how much of this stuff can you come up with documentation for in order to present strong disputes? If you're not saving your paperwork, you know, those emails or whatever, where you corresponded with that bank or that company, this is the time when you start pulling all that out. That binder that I told you about, those tabs that I told you to get, it's time to split them up into your long, I call them long form disputes because you're going to send big envelopes. I hyperlinked those in the blog where you can get all the supplies that you need for your disputes. There are links in there for everything. So be sure to check out the urban blog. You're going to send thick envelopes. You don't need to certify them or do anything like that. You just need to put the date on all your letters and everything to show when you wrote them, when you sent them, that type of thing. You're going to send your initial disputes out to your creditors first. Remember, we always kumbaya before we attack. When we're attacking, we're sending letters straight to the bureau. As long as you have strong documentation and you can get these disputes resolved, you'll be surprised to see the results that you get. When I had the credit services going within my company, people used to wonder, well, how are you coming out with full deletions? Because I was sending off thick packets with full documentation from clients to say, hey, this is what happened. And I believe that we deserve to get this off based on either this statute, this FCRA guideline, or this consumer. You know, something is always there in order to support the customer. But having the documents is always key. That can be emails, invoices, contracts, numerous different things. So if you're having an issue, you have something on your credit, you don't know what's the best way to go about it, send me an email or schedule a call, email the report to me, I'll look over it and I'll tell you exactly what you need. How much, this is the big one, how much of the collateral items are you willing to repay? Now, I'm never going to tell you what to pay. Or, you know, give you a number or say, yeah, hey, you should pay this because one, I don't know how this creditor will work with you. My experience in seven years of dealing with credit is sometimes they don't even respond. What do you do when they're just that nasty? There's a way to work around that and fully get your bills paid. I am uploading the contingency letter. The reason why I keep stressing this contingency letter is because Let's run an example. Let's just say I decked my house out, honey. Bought the most beautiful dining table, bought the most luscious bedroom set, fit for a queen, what's good? Bought myself a little bar, you know, bought a living room set. I mean, just decked the place out, bam. Rooms to go gave me a $8,900 credit limit. All right, no problem. Things happened in my life where I wasn't able to pay rooms to go. Granted, I was young and thugging. I ain't answered their phone calls. They came knocking on my door. I didn't answer, you know, to hell with them. When I get it, you got it. I ain't got it, so you ain't good. That's the mentality. We've all been there. Okay, but now we're on a good foot. New job, new money. Things are great. I can actually pay them. I want to raise this score. What I got to do? How can I become your friend again? Da, 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 da. But now, plot twist. Rooms to go ain't talking to you. They not answering. Keep transferring you, telling you to call this company and call that company. All you want to do is just pay. Now, what's sad is I was willing to pay them five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars. I was trying to be a good chick. 
the way they treated me and being that this is going on for months and I got to close on my house in January and it's September, what do I do? Here's what you do. Write up a nice little letter, which we've got templates, which we're uploading. Write up a nice little letter and say, hey, in regards to account so-and-so and so-and-so, I tried to make an offer of so-and-so and so. My communication efforts were not successful. So what I have decided to do is make a payment contingent upon full removal from my credit report. Acceptance of this letter and acceptance of this payment would mean that you agree to my terms written in this letter. Now, in regards to account 1234 by my name with the balance of $8,900, I am willing to pay you $200. If this, I like to use money orders. If this money order is cashed, that means that you've accepted my terms. And within 30 days from doing so, I want full removal from my credit. Woo, thug life. Talk about karma for not picking up the phone and not working with me. And it's 100% legit because it's considered a contract. If I'm trying to pay you and you're not trying to answer me, that within itself goes against consumer law. My E for effort is me sending you a payment and throwing you a bone. Being that you're sending everything to a P.O. box and you don't have humans checking the mail and all y'all do is slice it open and deposit checks to pay yourself because you're just greedy. That's not my problem. So you accepted $200 for $8,900 and it's a done deal because instead of cashing it, you had the option to send it back to me. You didn't do that. So now we're moving right along. We done got rooms to go paid like that. We done got Sprint paid like that. Sometimes you got to do the medical companies that are stubborn. You got to pay them with contingencies and things like that. And before you know it, because you're doing the work now, you have the documentation. You have the receipts from the money orders. You can show that they were confirmed payment because you saved the stub and you wrote back to the credit bureau and say, hey, these things need to be removed from my credit because I paid them on X, Y, and Z date and the creditor accepted the payment. Woo, look at you paying off $8,900 worth of stuff for 200. Then you done paid another one that was 500 for 50 bucks. Then because Sprint was really, really nasty, you decided that on that $200 bill, you was going to send them 20 and guess what? Everybody cashed it. Who winning? So now, people who are seeking to do settlements and payments on contingency terms only, make a notation that once you get to payments, you're going to download your payments with contingencies letter there's a couple of them in there some of them are for installment plans when you try to shoot your shot and submit an installment plan and they don't respond you can get that deleted completely or you could throw them a bone on that contingent that contingency payment so we're moving on from collateral that's how we handle collateral you've taken yourself out the position for a lean long-term credit you know bouncing from creditor to creditor because now it's considered pay so ask yourself how much of the contingency items are you willing to pay make a notation of them now 
let's make extra notes and go back and look at our credit report and look at the years, look at the time periods. Ask yourself, how much of this resulted from some random occurrence that I had going on in my life where, you know, shit was happening? Because don't nothing affect finances like shit was happening. How much of that came from something? Was it a job loss? Were you a student at the time going through college and you didn't have the income? Was there an illness? Were you pregnant? Doubling back to paperwork. Can you document that? Because if you can document that, there's many things that you can move from your credit, be it late, you know, bad things, stuff like that. You can get a lot of stuff changed on your credit report if you can document hardships. We have the hardship letter uploaded for you as well. Now, when you look at your report from this perspective, after all that we've discussed today, is it a little bit more clear? Are you more understanding as to what is hurting your credit? Do you understand what needs to be fixed? If the answer to all of these questions are yes, that is the clarity that is needed in order to fix your credit. When you do not understand these items and you do not know how to remedy them, there's absolutely positively no way that you can tell yourself that you are going to successfully fix your credit. Now that you know how to read your report, you understand the things that injured your report a little bit better. Are you ready to fix your credit? If the answer is yes, my recommendation is create a plan. You remember that binder? I keep talking about this binder because if you're gonna do it, trust me, you're gonna need it. Start planning. Tell yourself that when I have laid out all my documentation, I've circled, highlighted, you know, I've pinpointed everything that has gone wrong on my credit and I have a resolution for each and I'm ready to attack my credit. I'm going to solidify my plan. I'm going to make a list. My list will go a few different ways. I'm going to have items that just need to be deleted. They don't need to be here. Something was wrong. I can document that. We can get those things off. We have items that need to be repaid or settled. Repaid or settled with contingency. These are just items that we know that we're going to be like, I, right. <laughs> you know what? I, I did that. I did that. So I'm going to do a little bit. Don't get too crazy, but I'm going to do something in regards to this. Make a list for those. Then there are those items where let's say I was being a good chick or a good dude. And I had a bank card with some random tropical credit union or whatever it's called. I know they're very popular. I've seen them on credit reports numerous times. And let's say that I was always a good customer and I always paid y'all. I paid y'all on time. And I'm looking at my credit report and I know that I've had this account for over 72 months. But for some odd reason, this creditor is missing 23 months of payments. This is when you got to say, hey, 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 hey. 
I need an update. I need a correction. I need you to go ahead and fill in all those missing months. Because when you do not have history entered for a specific month or a time period on your credit, I'll put it to you this way. If you missed 10 months, let's say each month is worth two to three points. That's 20 to 30 points you're missing off your credit because they just decided that they were not going to update, you know? You need to request those corrections and go through your credit and make sure that you have history for all your accounts that you've been upstanding in. Then when you're all done with your list of items that you need to just have deleted, items that you need to get repaid or settled, and your items that just need to be corrected, now is when you start attacking everything with your money orders. Do not call and make payments over the phone. Do not give creditors access to your bank account information. Um, I highly recommend mailing in payments through money orders. It solidifies the one-time agreement and it gives you documentation for the credit bureau. Bank statements are good, but you're also giving them leverage to put a hand into your account and that's not what you want, especially on a derogatory account. Now, set your budget. The way that this budget is gonna go, I'm gonna teach you later on how to create budgets, what to attack first, and how to repay things. But in the meantime, set yourself a realistic budget to tell yourself every month, I am using this number to pay things down. That's a part of your plan. Now that we've discussed all of that, I wanna be clear and let you know and this is me from my experience prior to starting the business. And this is just me knowing from dealing with clients for seven years. This journey is not going to be an easy one if you do not plan your steps accordingly. If you don't know what you're doing and you don't have the resources, you're not going to be able to attack everything. So my advice to you is to go in with everything. Go in with the plan, go in organized, go in with the budget and go in with the biggest one, some accountability. Because the people who often do not make it in this journey for credit are the ones who've not fully adulted their finance. Every time you ask them, well, I don't know, it was, no, you can't approach it like that. You have to go into this thing like, Woo, rooms to go? Yeah, I burned her. Sprint? Oh, yeah, baby. I got all them phones. <laughs> I didn't pay for it. But I'm going to attack that, you know, or who did this charge for the... Yeah, I did that. Go in with some accountability. I don't know. Let me tell you. Ain't nobody hand holding you with credit or finance because you cannot walk into a bank with, I don't know, on your application. When a bank asks you, what have you looked like for the past 48 months? I don't know. That ain't going to cut it. You need to know when a bank asks you to explain discrepancies in pay, employment, credit, why do things tank here, whatever, whatever, they have underwriting and they're doing this thing called they're playing match based on your story. Once they look at your credit report, once they look at your IRS tax transcript, they already know what happened. And even more dangerous than your credit report and your IRS transcript is something called your LexisNexis report. I would like for all of you to take the request form from out of your understanding and maintaining credit guide. I want you to send that one off. When you send it off and you get that report back, it's usually about 40 to 50 pages. I've seen people come back with them at 100. 
This report will tell you what your name was on AOL, okay? It'll tell you what your email address was for Black Planet. It's going to tell you a lot of things that's going to have you like, well, damn! And those addresses that you put on there where you put that you worked at your friend's company, but when you put the address and the phone number, it was really a house, that LexisNexis report is going to tell you, hey, this was not a commercial business. This was a residence, but in the past, it's been entered on this person's application. Credit is nothing to play with. And all that non-accountability, that irresponsibility, that plan like, you know, you don't know, thinking that somebody's going to hold your hand. The banking game is very serious. And I mean, it's one of those things where, and I've, I've, I've dealt with this with my clients, nobody's here to handhold you. So you're going to have to tighten up your bootstraps and you're going to have to know something because you'll know something is how things are going to get done. Now, one of the things that I would like to make clear to you guys, and this is to encourage you, not to discourage you. This is going to let you know what you need to be getting done in the meantime. When I dealt with clients with the service, here are the top things that set clients backwards. So if you can avoid these things, you are going to straight kill it and you're going to have great credit in no time. Some clients were unprepared with documents to support the disputes that they had me submitting. Give you an example. Let's say that Tom owes on child support. $10,000 is being reported delinquent on child support, but he's not $10,000 delinquent because they've been taking the money out of his paycheck. Same thing with student loans being reported, but you know, they're garnishing the money some way, somehow. The longer it takes you to get that documentation, the more it sets you back. The information is easy to access. Take a trip to, you know, HR. Take a trip to your student portal, which is on studentloans.gov or something like that. And you'll be able to see this and you'll be able to report it to the credit bureau. Because remember, sometimes when things are being done on one end, it's not being reported to the credit bureau. So when I use to stress clients for documentation, it's very important because the credit bureau cannot see everything. So documentation is one of the things that used to set clients back. Number two, budget. Have some money set aside in your budget to take care of your credit. I cannot even begin to tell you how many times people came, signed up with me, barely could pay to get through the service. When I called to follow up and say, hey, did you pay so-and-so that money so I can go ahead and send this letter of kumbaya to say that we're all good? Can we move along and get this off our credit now? Oh, I didn't do that. I got to do that. You do. You do. So set aside a budget because remember, if certain things are not being zeroed out and they're not changing, baby, it's not going to change on your credit either. So have that budget set aside to take care of the collateral items or to do the contingency payments like I partially discussed previously. Last one, which I know this ain't going to be none of y'all from the Urban Financial Java Live podcast. They were not truly dedicated to getting this whole thing done. It's sad that credit can take you so far. Managing your finances like a beast can put you in a different place in a year if you really, really do it. 
it's sad to see that some people will have $3,500 worth of debt and won't touch it or try to, you know, dance around it, do all kind of little schemish tactics, CPN numbers, trade lines. And there's no better way to say it other than stupid shit. But will invest three to seven hundred dollars on a wig, name brand, designers, men, shoes. Oh, this concert had came up. My friend wedding. All kind of crazy shit. Let me tell you something, people. Do not set yourself back financially from opportunity to invest in leisure. Leisure doesn't have much rate of return, meaning that when you put money into leisure, you get nothing back. The dollar amount is zero. When you reduce your debt, you earn credit. When you keep things paid down, you earn higher limits. When you are not constantly a risk to financial institutions, you are given low Interest rates, that is your repayment for not being high risk. There's so much reward in responsibility and holding yourself accountable. My advice to everyone is do not set yourself back with leisure. In order for you to succeed in this credit fixing journey, I suggest starting with the small stuff and the small disputes and setting your repayments and settlements up for later. Come up with a plan for that as your, that's my second step. That's part two. Well, everyone, that's the breakdown of the credit report. I hope that everything that I contributed gave you some form of insight to help you understand the credit report much better. If you're ready to start your credit fixing journey or you're going to go through this ride for season one as I break down credit from the report, the disputes, the repayments, how to dispute, tricks of, you know, how to go about settling some things. And basically we will finish with how to maintain and just keep things good. If you're ready, go ahead and visit the website and download Understanding and Maintaining Credit, the guide with the letter templates. If you want, you can visit the Urban Blog. The Urban Blog has the links in there for the binders, the dividers. Also, I included the sleeve ones, your three-hole punch. I mean, your whole game plan is in there. You thick envelopes and everything to basically get you started. If you're ready, visit the website, download, shop up, stock up on whatever you need. Next up, we'll be talking about disputes.